I think this is going to be really world changing. Anyone can buy Bitcoin. Having some is better than none. I think it's riskier to not own any than it is to own some. So today's episode, we are brought to you by Submission Nutrition. They are a nutritional food company that provides clean and nutrient-dense food products designed for combat athletes. Their overnight oatmeal helps athletes stay on course with a healthy eating regimen. Wait, so is this all organic? Exactly. 100% organic with hemp seed, flax seed, and chia seeds so with superfoods in all of the flavors. So it's not just oats? Nope. They use goji pineapple, cacao nibs, and it's an amazing source of protein, fiber, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and complex carbohydrates. Is it like other oatmeals with a lot of sugar? Nope. They use no added sugar. I personally love overnight oatmeals because it's an easy way to have a healthy breakfast, especially when you're on the go. Yeah, super convenient. And since it's oatmeal, it's really filling, and it's easy on the stomach so that you don't have to worry about an upset stomach during training. Do they have different flavors? They do. They got regular base oats. They got mountain muesli, mulberry goji walnut, pineapple coconut, and my personal favorite, chocolate almond and nibs. And I'm actually wearing a Submission Nutrition t-shirt right now as we record this advertisement. Hold up. Not only do they sell overnight oatmeal, but they also sell some merch? Yeah, yep. So head on down to SubmissionNutrition.com or find them on Instagram and go pick up a couple bags of overnight oats, get a hat, maybe a couple t-shirts. But before you check out, make sure you enter in promo code SANCHA, that's S-A-N-C-H-A, before checkout to get an additional 20% off of your order. We are also brought to you by The Farm Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school located on West 10th Street here in Greeley, Colorado. And they offer programs like boxing, Muay Thai, grappling, judo, self-defense. Are you looking to learn how to defend yourself? You're looking to get a workout in. Maybe you're just looking for another hobby or even a second family. So come on down. Come say hi. No excuses because classes range anywhere from 6 a.m., that's where I'm at, even down to 7 p.m. There's classes all day, basically. So check out the schedule down at thefarmbjj.com or call 970-978-4996 to schedule a tour or even a trial class. Come say hi. We'll see you there. The Farm Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And the Sancha and Sancho podcast is also brought to you by legendary car care level up your detail game with some legendary car care products they are proudly made in the usa they got crazy fast shipping and if you order before 3 p.m mountain standard time they'll actually ship that exact same day everything from wheel cleaner to order eliminator honestly not only do i love the colors they look really pleasing to the eye but all of their detail sprays smell amazing. So look, amigos, we only team up with brands and companies that we believe in. So go check them out at legendarycarcare.com or find them on Instagram. We are brought to you by The Barbershop. Look, 
I almost always need a haircut, but when I go get a haircut, I go down to the barber shop. When I get a haircut, I usually just get like a low fade, but they also do razor fades. If I had a beard, I would get my beard trimmed there. They even do like the hot towels. It's pretty slick. It's kind of like the old school, like real American barbershop kind of vibes. Like it, it's pretty cool, but it's here in Greeley, like right down the street from campus. Their address is 1544 10th Ave. So you students, they got a little discounts for you. If you're a veteran, they got a discount for you guys. And they're open Monday through Friday from 9 to 8, Saturdays 8 to 7, and Sundays from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Go get your haircut before you go to church or before you go out. There's almost no excuse for you not to go get a haircut because their walk-ins are amazingly convenient. That's why I go there. So go check it out. The Barbershop. You can book their appointment online at thebarbershopgreeley.com. That's thebarbershopgreeley.com. Or call them, 970-353-2347. The Barbershop. The Barbershop. What's up, amigos? Welcome back to the Sancha and Sancho podcast. My name is Anthony. And and what's up, amigos? My name is Cindy. (laughs) And thank you guys for tuning in. So... Let's jump right into this one. Uh, I don't want to keep you guys waiting. We have another special episode for you guys. Um, I was really excited about this one. Yes. This is a fun one. I'm definitely going to share this to as many people as I can. Um, Leading up to this, I've been talking to a lot of people about uh, this conversation, and I've gotten some pretty interesting questions. Um, So yeah, let's get right into this one. We're going to talk about Bitcoin today. So I got a good friend. Cameron Davis, thank you for giving us the time today. Uh, I appreciate it, man. This is this is uh, this is gonna be a good one. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I don't really know where to start. I was trying to explain it to my parents the other day because um, I've been just kind of trying to get everybody to jump on the train. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not like trying to be like a a bandwagoner. You know, yeah, but yeah. just trying to explain it to my parents, it gets really rough really fast. I don't right. know if it's like a generational thing. Um, I, I've felt the same thing. I've yeah. But it is pretty confusing. It's not like um, it's not something that's like super black and white. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to it. There's there definitely is a lot to it. So I feel like let's just start. I feel like I want to actually start with how did you start into looking into that entire like side of things. So um, I suppose I guess I'll start. I got kind of right when COVID hit. I had started to kind of get into investing and looking at like, okay, I'm working this job for so many years. I've had my 401k, but like, I don't pick the stocks. I don't pick the assets I was buying in my 401k. And I had some money set to the side where I was like, okay, I realized this stock market just crashed with COVID. I feel like I should probably buy some of these stocks while they're cheap, even though I didn't really know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So I, I was playing around with the stock market a little bit. And I just started looking into things that would, you know, save my money the best over time. I'm thinking like five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, what's going to be best. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so the more I started looking at things, I I heard about this thing, Bitcoin, I'd heard about it before, but never really like, it's kind of been up in the air for a while. Yeah. Yeah. For over a decade now, actually. Okay. Um, and so I was curious. So I looked into it a little bit I texted a buddy I had who's in finance and I said, Hey, what's this Bitcoin thing? Maybe I should check this out. And he said, you, you definitely can. It's risky. It's volatile. I'd learn about it before you buy any. And I said, okay. And I didn't really buy any then. 
that was like last summer. So it was probably, uh, I think December was the time I bought my first Bitcoin, December of 2020. Okay. And I started to learn more about it. I kind of went down a rabbit hole a little bit with learning about like different cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin as well. And I've spent the last year, basically, I mean, we're in November of 2021. I've spent the last 11 months listening to podcasts, reading books, reading articles, watching videos, um, pretty much learning as much as I can about Bitcoin. And the other cryptocurrencies have kind of fallen by the wayside for me. Mm. Okay. Do you remember, just before I forget, do you remember what you bought your first chunk of Bitcoin at? Do you remember what it was at? I want to say it was in the 20,000s. That's pretty wild. Yeah. And and I... (laughs) I wish I would have gotten into it when I first kind of asked my buddy about it. The price was, I think, around like seven or 8000 Wow. But you yeah, live and you learn, really right? What's that? You live and you learn. Yeah. For sure. You can't win them all. Yeah. But it's kind of, it's tricky with, with stocks or this whole crypto thing because, again, you're investing your money into something that doesn't really explain itself. Yeah. I should also mention that this led me down a rabbit hole of what is money. Too. Okay. Mm. Um, and thinking about money from kind of like a first principles kind of thing, like, um, well, that's probably the well, only what, way to explain it. Yeah. Right. I guess I'll ask you guys, what is money to you guys? Man, I feel like that's just, it's just a, it's a, it's a tool that you use for an exchange for something, but it could be more into detail in regards to that, because kind of depending like exactly what you want to use it for. So I don't know. I feel like money is actually kind of an illusion almost because they're just numbers in the end of the day. So I don't know. I feel like I could kind of go all day about this, but what would you say? No, that makes sense. It's just a, a way of like trying to track value, right? And yeah, trading so value. The way I've come to think about it is... You know, we want to trade together, right? Mm -hmm. I can't provide for everything me and my family needs by myself, so we need to trade. So if you make shoes and I am a rancher, let's say I want some shoes, but you don't want any of my my beef, we can't trade unless we have a money, right? Some kind of thing that we both agree has value that we can trade at any point in time, and it'll work for us to trade so we can both lead better lives, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So in some sense, um, you want money to be, there's this term called hard money. So gold is an example of hard money. Um, and, and over time, humans tend to use the hardest money available. Um, that's pretty much what we've seen historically. So a hard money means it is difficult to increase its supply. Hmm. Um, so with gold, it's pretty difficult to go dig up some gold and refine mm. it and do all the things you need to do to get some gold, right? Um, back in the day, they, they used things like glass beads when it was difficult for them to make glass. They didn't have the technology for it, so they were rare. It was hard to increase that supply, so they'd use those as a money. Gotcha. Um, but today, we don't use gold as money anymore. Right. We use this paper currency mm-hmm. issued by our government. Um. And Bitcoin is another type of money. So I guess, should I just get into what Bitcoin is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I guess, let's say, for, for example, like, 
let's say four of us wanted to have an economy, okay? Or, or like we have a town, we want to trade with each other. We're going to use a money, but we need to kind of keep track of the money, right? Um, Anthony said it. You said it's how we kind of keep track of moving our value around. Right. Um, so we need kind of a ledger, right? That says like Cindy pays Anthony, Anthony pays Cameron, Cameron pays Jessica. Um, Bitcoin provides a ledger, okay? So I guess the best way, you know, I'll, I'll just read directly here. I'll mm-hmm. quote this. Um, nice. This is from a book called The Bitcoin Standard by Dr. Saifedean Amus. Okay. He says, the best way to describe Bitcoin is a distributed software that allows for transfer of, transfer of value using a currency protected from inflation without relying on trusted third parties. Mm. So it's a, it's a peer-to-peer payment system where Anthony can pay Cindy, Cindy can pay Cameron, Cam, Cameron can pay Anthony. Without no bank being involved. Without a third party. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yes. It is, yeah. That's- I mean, I think the, the fact that there's even something like that that is transitioning over to where it is almost like electronically, but you're able to just like what you're saying, able to kind of transfer those funds directly without that third party. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so now let's take a look at like the, the money we use today, the, the currency. I'm going to call it fiat currency. Maybe you guys have heard that term, maybe not. I have. Is that, is that... Um, fiat is the word used to describe the paper currency printed by central banks. That's a, that's a fiat currency. Um. Over time, these get inflated away. Are you guys familiar with inflation? A little bit. Right. Okay. Inflation just basically means that it value is rising faster than the value of the dollar, basically, right? It, not necessarily. So what inflation is, is it's essentially an increase in the supply of money. Okay. And what that does is it brings the value of the money down. Mm. So if we have 100 units of a currency... Each one of us has one over a hundred. If we double that, now we all have over we all have one over two hundred. That's all. That's a smaller fraction. It's worth mm-hmm. less. Yeah. Right. So governments, um, basically, what we've seen, we were on a gold standard at the end of the twentieth century. The world was pretty much glo- globally using a gold standard. All of the money was backed to the gold. So, like the British pound, for example. I might be wrong on the exact number, but I'm pretty sure one British pound bought you um, like, oh, no, 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 no. It was, I think, one pound of silver um, was one pound of like a British pound. I oh. think that's what it was. But it was tied to a certain weight hmm. of a hard metal, like like a silver or a gold. And then, well, the Federal Reserve in the United States was created in 1913, I believe. That's our country's central bank. And that is a group that exists outside of the government. They're not elected like everybody else who controls the government, right? Mm-hmm. The, right. Federal, the, the central bankers aren't elected. Um, what these people are able to do is just make more money out of thin air pretty much. Mm. Okay. And that's what they've been doing. So in 1971, President Nixon took us off the gold standard because... I mean, the history dates back to the, well, further than that, but it, but the first two world wars kind of established the United States as the predominant power in the world. 
We came up with this Bretton Woods system is what it was called. This was in like the late 40s after World War II when the world agreed to use the U.S. dollar as a global reserve currency and the dollar would be backed by gold. So you go to the bank and you exchange your dollars for whatever the weight of gold that they determined. That made the United States really powerful because we had this central bank that could print more dollars. This is really simplifying things, by the way. Mm -hmm. But essentially, we could print more dollars and we could just kind of say, well, you now get just a little bit less gold for your dollars. And we were able to do things like finance the Vietnam War with this pretty much. Hmm. So in the late 60s, early 70s, um, some of these European nations, um, another note, I'm... During World War II and World War I, I believe, a lot of these European countries, I believe, and you'll have to fact check me on this, but I believe a lot of them sent their gold over to the United States. Um, and we were custodying their gold for them, basically, because they were really afraid the Nazis were going to come take it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the late 60s, early 70s, a lot of these European countries, I think this is pretty much what happened. They started asking for their gold back, essentially. The United States said, well, no. We're not going to do that. We're going to leave the gold standard, basically, Okay, is what President Nixon decided. And so that allowed, well, first of all, I think we kept a lot of the gold. Right. That seems kind of scammy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little Ponzi sure. scheme-like. Right. Yeah. yeah. It makes sense. I mean, it worked out for us, right? We're, we're right. Americans. So, I mean, but that's kind <laughs> of a selfish viewpoint. Right. Um, and then we were, another thing Nixon was able to do was he was able to work with the largest oil producing country, countries and have them all agree to use dollars to price their oil in dollars. So once again, this allows the United States to just print more and more of these dollars and it forces everyone else in the world to buy their energy with it, essentially, the oil. And that makes everybody else dependent on the United States. Mm. So it's been very effective for keeping our global power over the last century this mm-hmm. this whole banking money system has been very effective at that mm-hmm. and and it allowed us to finance wars throughout the last right. you know the government without raising taxes the government was just able to print more money and essentially what that's doing is it's it's making debt right it's basically saying we'll pay that back in the future what this looks like and what's been going on with covid now if you fast forward is there's an emergency, right? There's an emergency going on, maybe. Mm-hmm. Government tells us there is, so we're going to print some money to solve the problems we're facing. Yeah. But we, they, we didn't, they didn't raise taxes on us. We actually got money in our pockets from right. this, right? What's so bad about it? Wasn't it actually yeah. like a trillion dollars? I, I don't know like the exact amount, that. but yeah, it was like something crazy, right? Yeah, I, I could be wrong on the numbers here, um, but I'm pretty sure that the, maybe we get this a quick Google in the background, but um, mm-hmm. how much the dollar, how much the supply of dollars has increased mm. in the last two years, I think it's been a lot. Like, I think there's, maybe I'm wrong here on my numbers, but like $12 trillion in circulation or something like that. And, and like two years ago, there was like $6 trillion or something like that. Again, maybe maybe Google can answer those, but... It was a lot of money they just printed. I feel like just that entire um, process was a little bit different because like they're printing a lot of money and it's like, where are they even getting this money from? And then the, right. And then the fact that they are 
now putting money in our pockets, just like what you're saying. And then without us not having to pay anything back or like being charged for it on taxes at the end of the year. I mean, I still don't know. I mean, they might still do that. I, I don't know the details on that, but it's so interesting. It's weird. <laughs> so then what does this have to do with Bitcoin? So Bitcoin offers us an alternative to that whole system I just described. Bitcoin is, like I said, it's, it's a network. It's a software protocol that's run on millions of computers all over the world. And what they're doing is they are reaching a consensus on the, on the blockchain is what it's called, but think of it as a ledger. The millions of computers that are running the Bitcoin protocol are all reaching consensus on the record of transactions. Okay. Now that record of transactions is called the blockchain. Each block on the chain is created by the miners. So maybe you guys have heard about the miners. I have. Right, a little bit, not. which is, that and, seems a little bit more involved, right? Yeah, and so, so again, you asked me like what this, what the inflation, the Federal Reserve, all and has the central to do with bank bit, printing, right. all has to do with Bitcoin. So we will get there, but let me explain a little bit more about what Bitcoin is. Okay. Um, so, so you've got all those computers all over the world. Those are called the nodes. They're reaching consensus. And then you've got the miners. Those are separate pieces of computer. And what they're doing is they are securing the, the blocks. They're creating the blocks at, this is a really simplified version, and I'm not a computer scientist, so I couldn't tell you exactly like the technical terms, but I like to think of it this way. This is my understanding. At the top of each block, you have a hash. A hash is like the most basic computer function. And I think it's between like 30 and 60 digits. At the bottom of each block, you have a hash. And those hashes are generated by solving a cryptographic puzzle by the miners. And that takes a lot of work, computational work. Which is basically like random numbers? So, yeah. So, think of it. It's basically like a, a barcode. It's basically a guess and check problem. It's basically, from what I understand, it's a guess and check problem that the computers, there's no shortcut. So, you just have to guess and check and guess and check and guess and check and iterate millions of times until you find the right answer. And then when you find that answer, it's really easy to verify that that's the right answer because it corresponds to the last answer, the last hash, mm. if that makes sense. Okay. So you're just matching numbers uh, on a very simplified, scale, you're, right? you're, you're fine. You're solving a puzzle is what right. you're doing. Once you solve the puzzle, you have the key and then it's really easy for all of the nodes to check and make sure that key is the right one because it's the only one that fits mm. and then that block is the legitimate one and and that process that i just described is called proof of work excuse me um and so what that means is in order to i should add when a block is created when those hashes are created there's what's called a block reward and that's how new bitcoins are generated mm. And so if you are the miner who creates the block, you get the block reward. And there's 6.5 Bitcoin per block right now. I think that's about $350,000 at around today's market prices. Wow. Interesting as well. It just because of the way it all works. Um, I think we can go back to like laws of thermodynamics here. It costs just about as much money to, to make a block as it does the Bitcoin reward, if that makes sense. So, so hmm. basically what you're explaining is they're only they're in, Only in places where you're able to get really cheap electricity can you mine Bitcoin profitly. 
okay. profitably. So mining Bitcoin is basically the version of printing dollars and putting that into the economy. It's like yes. pulling these Bitcoins yes. out of wherever the fuck they come from. I, like, I don't know. I it's don't out know. of the software protocol. It's all written in the pulling code. Pulling Bitcoin out of code and putting that into the economy, right? Yeah. And so that's basically what that is. You're printing And one Bitcoin. of the most important aspects of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. there's a hard cap at the supply. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. Unlike the dollar. Unlike right? the We've dollar. we literally just fucking... Infinite. So the, there's like the, an actual cap. The denominator on Bitcoin, not crypto. Just we'll get Bitcoin. into that later. Just Bitcoin. Interesting. The cap on Bitcoin is 21 million. So you have, if you have one, your fraction is one over 21 million. If you have one dollar, your fraction is one over infinity. Hmm. So because of this cap, basically, the value of Bitcoin... Is going to be very hard to go down because they can't duplicate it anymore. It's scarce. Okay. Right. It's rare. It's exactly. a commodity. And like gold, it's hard to produce. Mm. You need a lot of electricity. Okay. That makes it, that gives it that hard aspect, hard money. It's hard to increase the supply. Mm. And that's why everybody keeps talking about moving to some of these big energy places like Texas. Yeah, so so some like Texas, for example, West West Texas has this huge corridor of large amounts of wind and solar power, and they've got the windmills built, and they're getting a lot of energy out there. But you can only you can only send electricity about five hundred miles; it dissipates, um, and so there's not a ton of people living in West Texas. They have more energy out there than there's people living there to use, so. It would be a good idea if you have the capital, you know, to go down there and, and buy yourself some ASIC mining computers and go get some cheap energy down in West Texas and mine Bitcoin with it. And because if I were to mine Bitcoin here in my apartment, I'm paying a lot more for my electricity than I would be if I was right on site getting electricity from a wind farm or an oil well with natural gas, like that kind of thing. Okay. I see what you mean. Okay. And that's this, really... Like, this is really interesting too because this essentially allows... I think this is going to be really world-changing. This essentially allows places that have cheap electricity to monetize their excess, excess electricity because right now, all over the world, our power grids have excess energy that just goes to waste. That's right. how they're built. It makes sense because sometimes we need more power when we have big blizzards. Well, I... I was listening to this one podcast. I think it was one that you actually sent me and they were explaining like when you build a hospital, for example, like they, they build a hospital with an energy grid for what they think they would be using like 10, 15 years down the line. They don't want to build it too small. Exactly. They build it bigger than they, they actually need it to be. So that way there's always enough power so that if they build on the hospital or if they take some kind of new technology on that just like takes a shit ton of power, like they're, it'll be okay. But all that, like you're saying, I mean, it, you can't save it. It's not like you can just throw that power in a battery and just like throw it in the store. Like it doesn't, it goes to waste, right? You can't really move it that far. No, yeah. It's, and you can like, don't get me wrong. Like you can move electricity. Like 500 miles is a good distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but in places where you have excess energy that's just wasted, why wouldn't you hook up some miners to that and, and make some Bitcoin with it? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it'll be really interesting to see um, maybe more remote communities will be able to get more capital for themselves because they're able to utilize their cheap energy sources. Interesting, too, a lot of these might be renewable energy sources. They actually are, that's the way it's trending. Um, hmm. So then in other words, basically what you're saying is that Bitcoin has like a couple of different fundamentals or like categories into that. So it's almost like Bitcoin is like the main thing, but it has like all these other like categories yeah. to it that you can invest into to potentially make you more money. No. Or- so, so Bitcoin is just Bitcoin. I like to think of it as, as two kind of separate things. You have Bitcoin, the network, which is that network of computers all running the same software. And then you've got Bitcoins, the currency that's used on that network. Okay. Um, and so they're two very separate things, but you don't have one without the other. Um, so kind of to get back to Anthony's question about, I was talking about the Federal Reserve, inflation, printing money. Mm-hmm. A lot of this has to do, I think, with like human liberty and individual sovereignty. So do you guys think it's right that the government, like let's say, let's say, well, I'll throw, I'll give you a couple numbers. Um, the same guy I quoted from earlier, Dr. Saifedean Amous. He's a mechanical engineer and an economist, pretty brilliant guy. He did some calculations. He found that, I think over the last century, the average inflation worldwide was about 14% per year. Hmm. Damn. Damn is right. Hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. So that would mean that if you were investing in the stock market, your stocks would need to do gain at least 14% every year for you to break even. I see. Now, in the United States, that number is a little lower. I think he calculated it to be about 6 or 7% in the United States. He also found that, on average, the growth of the monetary supply in the United States grew by about 6% six to 7% every year. If you look back historically, the S&P 500, the stock index that tracks all the big 500, largest 500 country, companies in the world, um, that's gone up about 6 to 7% every year. Hmm. I'm not an economist, but I don't think it's a coincidence that we've yeah. increased the supply of money by the same amount that all of our assets' prices have gone up. Hmm. That seems like those... Yeah. So our system's broken. Yes. Basically is what you're getting down That's to. my opinion. I mean, it sounds, I mean, it just doesn't, if we're printing dollars and just out of nowhere, it just doesn't really make sense to. So if you had, if you had a thousand dollars in the year 2000, it's now 2021. If it inflated at about 7% every year, that's a half-life of like 10 years. So every 10 years, the value of your money's cut in half there. So you would have about 25% of the value you did in 2000 if you just saved with your dollars in the bank. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think it's right that the government was able to inflate, it was able to print currency, fund wars in Iraq and Afghanistan while the savings of its people were depleted? Mm-hmm. That's why Bitcoin's important. Because mm-hmm. it's almost like you are the one that has control of your own money. Absolutely. So that's what they mean by it's not government regulated. Yeah. So, 
and and let's get into other cryptocurrencies now because other cryptocurrencies are very similar to the U.S. dollar. Um, can I swear on here? Yeah. People, people, <laughs> people Bitcoiners call other cryptocurrencies shit coins. Okay. And I've heard that. The dollar is the biggest shit coin of them all. And what do you mean by that? Like it's literally just like a shitty. Yeah. So I mean, if you th- if you throw around things like, um, Doge. Well, yeah. So so if you're like analyzing a currency, right? There's a few things you want to look at. You want to look at who issues it. You want to look at who holds it. You want to look at can more be made. You want to look at how many people are using it. And those kind of questions will determine if you want to own some of that currency, I think. so. Well, that kind of mitigates the value of it, right? Well, no. So the answer to those questions will determine the value. Right, okay. So, so like, who holds, who uses it? Well, who uses the dollar? Trillions, not trillions, excuse me. Billions of people worldwide. That's A plus for the dollar. Lots of people use it. Um, who, what is the concentration of holders? Who holds most of the most dollars? Of I think the numbers are something like 1%, right? Yeah. Or 0.1% yeah. own the Less majority, yeah. own the majority of the currency. Um, who can make more of it and how can they do that? And what is the consequences of that? So like for the dollar, the central bankers just make more of it. There's no real cost to it. You know, you don't, they don't have to put in, any, put in any work to make more dollars. They just press a button on their machine and the printer goes, starts running. Mm-hmm. Um, with Bitcoin, nobody can make more of it. The only way that, that more Bitcoins are generated is through the mining process. And even then there's a cap. And even then there's a cap at 21 million. And so right now I think we've mined like 18 and a half, 19 million of the 21 million Bitcoins so far. Mm. Every four years, the reward is cut in half. So right now we're at 6.5. In about two years, it's going to get cut in half to 3.25. Four more years after that, it's going to get cut in half. And we trend slowly but surely to not quite zero as that number gets cut in half and half. But the value of Bitcoin theoretically is also going to go up. So 3.25 Bitcoins is probably going to be worth more than, you know, 3.25 Bitcoins in 2026 is probably going to be worth more than 6.5 in 2021. Right. Okay. So do you think that this is going to be like the new way of... Mm, Holding value? No, like almost like the new version of actually like instead of carrying cash, do you think Bitcoin... How often do you carry cash? Current, right. But I mean, yeah, true, right? Because like you're... I mean, you still have cash, but using like a debit card, credit card, what you know, things like that. But do you think that's just slowly converting over to that, to just cryptocurrency? Slowly but Bitcoin? surely. I think I think that um, right now Bitcoin is going to go into this store of value where most people are going to use it as a store of value. So for me personally, I've been buying a little bit every week, just kind of, that way I also dollar cost average my price. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, I'm trying to use it to protect my savings from inflation. I'm also using it because I think that the price is going to go up a lot. So I think it's going to profit Mm-hmm. excuse me um, and so f- that's what I'm using it as a store of value I don't see myself well for a couple reasons I don't see myself spending it anytime soon or selling it anytime soon mm-hmm. because my thesis is that the price will continue to go up 
as demand for it increases and the supply will never go up. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I think that, why would I be spending it today or selling it today if it's going to be worth more tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Um, and now something interesting that I do need to touch on is the volatility This scares a lot of people from it. So they see like, just look at this year. Um, in December, January, it was, shoot, uh, between between ten and 30,000, somewhere in there. And then by yep. April, by April, May, it shot all the way up to 67,000 or something like that, 65,000. And then it crashed all the way back down as low as like 29. Wow. So people who bought it this year in April were probably, you know, <laughs> squirming because it cut Dude, in half. You're spot on. Yeah. I remember before I met you, I bought some at like 17,000. And then it went up to 30K and I was like, oh my God. It's pretty nice. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just pulled it out. COVID happened. I was like, I don't know what the hell's going on. And Your then first I met experience you. with it was a pretty positive one, it sounds like. It was great, yeah. And I still didn't even know anything about it, right? I kind of just like heard about it, kept hearing like the stuff about Cash App, buy it, whatever. I was like, okay, whatever. Fuck it. We got money. And, and then I Oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. And then I met you. And then literally the probably the first conversation, like probably within <laughs> five, ten fucking minutes. You're like, hey man, do you know anything about Bitcoin? Yeah, what do you think about I'm Bitcoin? About it. And I was just like, nobody's ever asked me that before, man. I remember you said that to me too. Yeah, I yeah. was like, nobody's asked me that before. Uh, that's what's crazy though. It almost sounds like a really like scary idea because you don't know much about it unless if you look into it, you educate yourself as far as what it really is. I'm the crazy Bitcoin guy because <laughs> nobody's willing to sit down with me like you guys and talk about it and learn a little bit about it. Yeah, They see a headline about it. And well, that's that's yeah. what made me really confident was your confidence. I'm not going to lie. Your confidence was definitely like, okay, well, this guy's fucking balls deep into this. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not uncertain. Right. And that's, I want to get to that specifically. Like, what makes you so fucking confident? Because I think that's something that, and I, with me trying to explain it to my parents, like, I think once it gets to the point where they just don't understand it, like, it's just kind of like, no. Yeah. No. yeah. Like, I, I don't, I don't get it. So I don't really want to be involved. It's also scary because like, a lot of people um, have this real like faith and confidence. And so when I pitch the federal reserve and the central bank as these people that really haven't helped normal Americans, a lot of people are like, well, no, the central banks, the people that set our interest rates and they, they get us money when we need it for stimulus. And they're the good guys. They're helping us, Mm -hmm. but it hasn't really worked out that way. You know, look Uh at our national debt. I think it was around $2 billion in the 80s, and now we're past $30 trillion. That's going to exponentially continue to increase. There's no way around it. Yeah. It has to increase the way the system's built. I'm definitely trusting you with the numbers because you were, she pulled up the numbers with the inflation, and you were spot on, dude. Oh, yeah. Is that 40%? Yeah, 11.7. So you said 12 billion. So you're you're right on. And I think that top thing says 40% of US dollars in existence were printed in the last 12 months. So almost half the total supply wow. was just generated in the last year. Here, here's some perspective on gold. Gold lasts forever, right? The gold we mined 3,000 years ago is still here today. Yep. The supply of gold increases by about 1.5 to 2% every year. Dang, that's nothing. No. At 40% of you. <laughs> is America repeating the same mistake of 1921 Weimar Germany? <laughs> I don't know. That's like the best title ever. <laughs> it is pretty scary, man. Yeah, I, I mean, the, definitely the thought of it is just like 
scary, confusing, overwhelming, all of these things. But well, it should I guess, just be like the thought of like buying milk like 10, 15 years ago was way cheaper than like if I go to the gas station right now, it's like four bucks. Yeah. So if we now think about this, if we'd been using something like Bitcoin for the last hundred years or whatever, what, what would have happened? Um, well, the money supply wouldn't have increased. So the money would have gotten more valuable. So the, and meanwhile, we make more milk and we make more apples and we make more of everything. So all of those things get more abundant. The money doesn't, the money raises in value. So the money you give to your kids will actually buy them more milk than it bought you. Right. That sounds pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. I'd like to save in a money like that, that let me pass it down to my kids and it bought them more than it bought me. Right. We could build a world structured like that. That also changes people's time preference. Have you guys ever heard that phrase, time preference? Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? So it's basically like um, how much are you thinking about the future kind of? So if you have a high time preference, I might be flipping these around, geez. If you have a high time preference, um, you're not really concerned about five, ten years down the road. You're more concerned about tomorrow, next mm-hmm. week. If you have a low time preference, you're more worried. You're thinking 5, 10, 15 years down the road. It's like delayed gratification. Okay. Kind of like that. Um, so if I'm saving in a money that's going to be more valuable in the future, that allows me to plan better for the future. If I'm living somewhere like Lebanon right now, which is experiencing like hundred inflation in the hundreds of percents that means like you get paid at the beginning of the month and at the end of the month your paycheck is going to buy you maybe 10 percent of what it would have bought you at the beginning of the month so if you're living somewhere like that you can't plan at all for the future mm-hmm. right you it, yeah. what, you know you can't save yeah. for the future you can't think to yourself like okay in a year i'm gonna buy a house like you can't do that if that's the money you're using mm-hmm. Right. That's why there's kind of like a human rights thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're using a hard money that like Bitcoin, I'm much more able to plan for the future. I'm much more able to think about the future. My actions are also going to be more inclined toward a better future. Whereas like if I think I might die tomorrow, I might do some crazy stuff, you know? Right. Whereas if I know that, I think I'm going to have a good life. I'm saving in this, in this hard money. My kids, I can pass down to my kids and it's going to be worth even more for them. Now I'm thinking about the future. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about tomorrow necessarily, you know? So how do you get started? Um, just, just buy some. There's a lot of different apps you can go on. So one thing that I will say is it is important to custody your own Bitcoin so I would recommend getting what's called a hardware wallet. And this is basically something where you can store your Bitcoin on and only you will have the key, the private keys to access this. So in this sense, no government could take this from you. Um, if you were a, uh, this is a real example, by the way, if you were a woman in, in Afghanistan who was fleeing from the Taliban and you had your life savings on your hard wallet, you might be able to get, or... You don't even need a hard wallet, actually. You can just store the private keys in your head, 
with 12 words and, and access to the internet, you can mm. access your Bitcoin, you can access your life savings. So she was able to flee Afghanistan from the Taliban, make it all the way to Germany, where normally people on that trip, you know, if they survive, they're reached there with just the clothes on their back. Mm-hmm. She was able to reach there with her life savings. I love that you bring that up because I actually watched a video um, probably a couple days ago and it was talking about some guy who who had like this horrible, like like rough upbringing um, and he ended up like going to jail for like murder and stuff like that, right? He got out of jail or actually he was in jail, he met this guy who was in jail, but he was in jail for... Um, I think it was something about how to do with like stocks, just like some kind of white collar crime. Yes, exactly. You know, so he's like, what are you doing here? Like you're, you're in the same place as I am. So long story short, they end up finding out like what he does, like for a living and stuff like that. He starts getting educated. He starts like, oh my gosh, this is, there's like this whole other world out there that I don't even know about. So he goes back to his home place after he was like out of jail and Um, and he had all this knowledge. He started investing into stocks and, but then started like, he still needed money now. Right. So it's like, he started getting back into his old ways, you know, and, and, um, like people that he knew, like were jacking him and like, you know, things like this. But the only thing that they didn't jack or they didn't like steal was his like stock money, like crypto money. Yeah. Yeah. So Literally, you can keep Bitcoin in your head. Nobody can take that from you. Nobody can control your thoughts. Um, so that's something that's really cool about it. And you can probably think of a million different situations where that would be good um, to have your life savings just in your head. And you can access them on I remember one of, the, one of the first examples you gave me was, I think you call it deference? Is that what it's called? Oh, uh, remittances. Remittance. Yeah, you know where I'm coming with deference. I don't know where the fuck that even came Sounds from. Sounds kind of remittance, same. right? Yeah, and that example is basically like if you're, which happens a lot here in America, right? Where we have families that come over here to, or for a better life, and they have family back home in another country, and a lot from Latin America, right? Right, and they they work here, they take the money, and they send it back to their family, mm-hmm. right? One of the easiest ways to do that is you head to the Walmart, Walgreens, whatever gas Western station. Union. Sometimes, yeah, Western Union. You just you can send some money over. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is that they there's like a large fee. So Yeah, a lot of times those companies are, are charging a good percentage of the money. It's most of the time the percentage is higher if you're only sending a smaller amount of money too. Yeah. And a lot of these jobs that these immigrants are here doing don't pay them as much money. So maybe they're only sending a hundred dollars home a week. Mm-hmm. If Western Union is gonna take twenty five percent of that, that's that's hefty. That's very substantial and it adds up really quick, right? Yeah. And you were telling me that with Bitcoin, I mean, it solves that problem, literally, right? Because there's no middleman. There's no middleman. It happens pretty much at the speed of light. You have to wait for the network confirmations. So so for those blocks to be mined, you have to wait for those. And then then you can literally go on there and see your transaction right there Hmm. and know that those are yours now. But I feel like break break that down a little bit more. Like how, like do you, does, does it have to be like, um, Bitcoin to Bitcoin or like how so there's a lot the of different side yeah that access I guess so there's a lot of different like wallets and stuff um, and what those are digital wallets they're apps you can download on your phone mm-hmm. um, 
and you can store your Bitcoin on those. There's hard, there's cold wallets and there's hot wallets. Hot wallets are connected to the internet. Cold wallets aren't. Cold wallets are more secure because they're not connected to the internet. Hmm. Um, and you only access, you only connect them to the internet when you need to move coins at all. Um, so I guess I was saying the miners, um, basically it takes about 10 minutes for a block to be generated. So if you're going to use the base Bitcoin blockchain, you would need to wait for three network confirmations. So about 30 minutes, three blocks to be generated and your transaction will show up on one of those blocks. Hmm. Um, and you can check that if you're running a node, which I talked about at the beginning, you know, those are the computers that are all reaching consensus on the protocol that's being run. If you're running one of those nodes, you can go on and see that transaction and know that it's yours. So let's do an example. I have some uh, Bitcoin, let's say on Coinbase. On my, Have you heard of Coinbase? Mm-hmm. It's one of those exchanges where that allows you to buy and sell cryptocurrencies. On the Coinbase app, I have a digital wallet and I can pull that out right now. And if Anthony has any other digital wallet, he can give me that wallet address. Think of it like an email address. I can put it in on my end. I want to send my coins to this address. I press send. We wait about 30 minutes and it's done. Wow. Bitcoin has this other really cool thing going on called the Lightning Network. And it's an additional network built on top of the Bitcoin network. I'm way less uh, well-versed on the Lightning Network, but I do know that what it allows you to do is settle transactions instantly. And then these get added into the Bitcoin blockchain later on, is how Mm. I understand it. So for remittances, I think a lot of people are using the Lightning Network to do that right now because they they can just do it on apps on their phone and it happens super quick for them and super easy. And they don't have to pay a middleman. And so their family back home is now able to save more money. And if they keep the Bitcoin, if they don't trade it in for dollars, if they keep the Bitcoin, that's a pretty nice thing to be saving. Yeah. There's, there's so much involved with that. But even that alone, I feel like it's such a good argument for this to be something that's going to be really powerful in the future. Like just something that small. But it's... It's way bigger than that. Yeah, so if you guys are, I don't know if you know, but it's legal tender in El Salvador. So the president of El Salvador made a pretty radical move earlier this year. He announced that his country was going to make it legal tender. And he basically said, okay, we're passing the law, and within three months, if you're a merchant, you have to accept Bitcoin. And they set it up so that way the government is going to hold some Bitcoin and some because El Salvador already uses the dollar, the U.S. dollar. Mm. So they're going to hold some Bitcoin and they're going to hold some dollars. And so they're going to let people exchange back and forth. So if I go down there and I buy something with Bitcoin, um, but the merchant doesn't want the Bitcoin, they can, have the, they can have it set up on their end so that they never even see the Bitcoin. It just shows up as dollars in their account. Mm. But they're using the Bitcoin Lightning Network to do all of that. And it most of the time it just looks like QR codes. You just scan a QR code and your payment's sent. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It is pretty wild. And that's one of the that's one of the first countries, right, to like just fully embrace it. Yeah. Um 
I think it'll be the first of many dominoes. Um, well, it seems like it's starting to cause like this crazy trickling effect because it's definitely like a, it's almost like a, they're trying to set an example, right? Yeah, but it's definitely like in a little, little experiment because their economy is very broken. Yeah, well, and so El, it has a lot of benefits to El Salvador. First of all, the president who did it, his name's Nayib Bukele. He's really famous now. He's got a ton of followers on Twitter. Um, so for him personally and politically, it's been a really good move. Um, for his country, I think it's going to be a really good move because one, for he's one, ch- the remittance issue. He's changing the game. He's changing the game. Um, I think he's trying to educate his people so that El Salvadorans can start saving in this hard asset. <laughs> and that's going to make his country better over the long term. It's also going to bring more investors into the country because people, the market cap of Bitcoin is over a trillion dollars. It's like $1.1 trillion. So that's how much money value is locked up in it. That's a lot of capital. So a lot of those people are going to go to the only country in the world that has it as legal tender and leave some of their Bitcoin there. Basically, they're going to go spend it. Um, and that's going to be, again, long-term good for the country, I think. Hmm. That is... Really amazing. <laughs> Before Honestly. I forget, we can we open this up? Absolutely. So yeah, I got some tequila from Mexico here from Jalisco. Yeah, well, Jalisco, you uh, Mexico. from Jalisco. Pour it up, Jalisco. Pour it up. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna set something up too here. Sounds good. So pa arriba. Pa arriba. Pa abajo. Pa abajo. Pa al centro. Pa al centro. Y adentro. Y adentro. That's such a trippy shot glass. Okay. What you guys think? Oh, tastes so good. <laughs> Dude, these shot glasses though. Honestly, like I'm I'm like a bitch when it comes to freaking drinking any shots, but honestly, this was actually quite pretty smooth. I'm not gonna lie. I like this. Yeah, we did this little tequila tour in Mexico and he sold us a bottle. He got us. <laughs> nice. This is freaking awesome. We went to this um uh, up in Fort Collins, it's called the Whiskey, and then there's this other place called the Old Elk. There are two distilleries okay. in, in Old Town. I like the taste, too, with the, with the, the shot glass. A little yeah, bit of salt on I the like end. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's why I was like, these nice. shot glasses are badass. Good call on the salt. Yeah. Seriously. Little Francesca's over here. That was very cool. <laughs> yeah, thank you for the shot. That's awesome. Woo. Warm me up a little bit. I'm like, yeah. another one? Yeah. There's this, uh, no, okay. there's this place in Fort Collins called the Old Elk. They have, like, this... Um, it was like this chocolate whiskey. Mm. It was absolutely amazing. I was a little, it was our anniversary when we went over there. So we were kind of in a rush to go to dinner afterwards. I didn't buy a bottle, but I should have bought a bottle because that would have been perfect for the studio. Yeah, it's pretty. It was pretty. But hell yeah, yeah dude, that's learn. amazing. Yeah, this was so, so smooth. Glad you guys enjoyed. Really smooth. So, so Anthony, you've put $5 on the table in front of me. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, I passed out $5 to everybody. So, um, I think that'll be kind of interesting. So let's keep that. Let's keep shelf that. Shelf that. Yeah, shelf it. We'll come back to that. Don't okay. forget about that. Don't let me forget about that. Okay. Oh, so nice. now we have a shot in our system. <laughs> back to the whole Bitcoin. Uh, who even created this whole ideal? Um, Who's responsible for this? So in, I believe it was late 2008, maybe it was early 2009, a pseudonymous person named Satoshi Nakamoto, so that's a fake name, we don't really know who it is, sent 
this uh, letter to a mailing list of um, some kind of like cipher crypto technological computer science folks. And um, he said, hey, I've been working on this peer-to-peer cash payment system without a third party. Take a look. And it was these guys at first just talking about it on the mailing list. And um, you can go back and read all of these transcripts as well online. It's pretty cool. Because mm. um, these guys are talking about stuff, like some of the stuff we're talking about. Like, how do we solve the problem of like, well, we can't, we got to make sure that not every Bitcoin or every Bitcoin can only be spent once. So like, how do we make the ledger so that it can be verified? And how do we make new so was it one person? And- was it one person or a group of people? I don't know. Nobody that knows. Seems, that's pretty fucking genius, right? It is a marvelous work of genius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It really is. It it solves. It accounts for so many things. Another really interesting aspect of Bitcoin is this thing called the difficulty adjustment. So, as we talked about, the miners are are solving these computational puzzles to get the block reward, the Bitcoin. Um, and in most things right um if more people are competing for the same thing it gets harder to win that thing right like right if there's a trophy and there's 10 people competing for it it's a lot easier to win than if there's a thousand people competing for the same trophy and i think that in particular is what's all this hype about in regards to like nfts right which is completely separate it's not the same deal but they are involved right like you buy nfts with ethereum yeah so just to wrap up the difficulty adjustment real quick. So the di- so the more miners that go on the network, the difficulty is adjusted so that it still produces the answer. It produces a block about every ten minutes. So if there was only one miner, it would be it would take that miner about ten minutes to get the answer. And if there's a million miners, it'll take the miners about ten minutes to get the answer. So that right there's a really interesting piece of it that it's like, how did he even think of that? Like, hmm. it's pretty incredible. Um. Let's talk about other cryptocurrencies and maybe NFTs and stuff a little bit. Well, yeah. really quick too, though. I, I kind of want to just like, I guess, narrow down like who who can like get this stuff? Like who can, like, is it just individuals? Anyone. Is it also entrepreneurs, like businesses? Or how does that kind of like? Anyone can buy Bitcoin. Um, so right now you could download on your phone any number of apps. There's uh, Coinbase, Gemini, Kraken, BlockFi, Coinbits, okay coin there's a ton of them all of them have their different quirks and different fees um but you can go on there and start buying some of them are bitcoin only some of them let you buy all the shit coins like doge and whatever else is coming out now um but yeah so anybody can go buy it institutions can go buy it so like tesla we saw earlier this year i don't know if you guys saw elon musk announced that tesla bought like 1.5 billion dollars yeah can we Google that real quick? How much yeah. how much Bitcoin did Tesla buy? Um, yeah, I was like super curious about that because I don't know if it was just maybe um, like just individuals that can like get that. But then I guess like businesses are kind of individuals as well. It's like, well, so it'd be it'd be really difficult for like um, like a Coca-Cola maybe to buy Bitcoin because that's a publicly traded company. Uh, the majority of the shares, I believe, are owned by people like Warren by, Buffett and stuff, but by, by normal, but by people, yeah. Right. So you, mm. in order to like okay. kind of ethically buy Bitcoin, and I'm sure there's actual legitimate regulations, they would have to go to their 
I'm sure there's a board of governors and they'd have to go to their stockholders and they'd have to go and jump through a lot of hoops basically to buy it. Whereas Elon Musk pretty much owns Tesla, I think. So mm. he was able to just go out and do it. Gotcha. Technically, couldn't you just hold whatever your company has as far as like liquid money instead of holding that in like a savings? Yeah. So, I mean, why wouldn't you, you? hold it in? Why would you? Why would you hold your savings in a do, in the dollars that are just a melting ice cube? Every because in year? ten years, I don't want to have any. Yeah, at seven percent inflation, which we're seeing higher now, right now, due to the enormous amounts of money printing we've seen in the last twelve to eighteen months, um, why would you keep your savings in dollars? So it looks like. Tesla's got 42,000 Bitcoin. Is that what I saw? Holy mm. crap. And they bought them at a price of, what Ooh. does that say? 32,000. Wow. Look up um, MicroStrategy Bitcoin. I think this guy this is another one where the owner of the company owns a majority stake, I think. So he was able to, uh, or he's got a lot of influence. He was able to buy a lot. Right there. How much of MicroStrategy is in Bitcoin? Yeah. The latest buy comes from a few weeks after MicroStrategy had added $177 million in cash at an average price of about 45000 Well, so I think he's been buying Bitcoin since middle of last year, and I think my, his company's called MicroStrategy. They have about 110,000 Bitcoin as of right now. Well, it wow. says that they owned 0.58% of basically all the Bitcoin mined. Yeah. What? That's pretty impressive. And so as more people start to realize this, um, kind of learn about this asset and, and realize what's going on here, I think it becomes more attractive to a lot more people that the Apple CEO just came out and said he personally owns it. And I think that's what really planted the seed for me. And, and when I was talking about like what makes you so confident and that's what was making me confident because I was going home and I was like looking it up, like what does this even mean? Like who is adopting it? And then I feel like because of that, I just started seeing it come up like on my feed more where like... A couple mayors, like mayors in New York, a couple in Miami. Florida, yeah, in Tennessee, like they're all saying that they're going to take their first couple payments as mayor in Bitcoin. I mean, um, it's not just that though; like it's so many different things. Like theaters, AMC theaters. If you want to buy your movie tickets online, you yeah. can pay for them in Bitcoin now. That's wild. Well, earlier Elon Musk said that Tesla, you could buy Teslas with Bitcoin, but then he backtracked on that because yeah. he was like, I don't know how green for the environment is, which we can get into a little bit too if you want to. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, what do you mean by that? Well, one of the largest criticisms of Bitcoin is people say it takes up too much energy. How so? So you'll see these articles that say like, Bitcoin mining will be boiling the oceans by 2030. Well, there was an article actually that said that they would be doing it by 2020. I don't think the oceans are boiling yet, but... Why would they say that? Well, because of how much, you know, you got to burn something to make that electricity. So CO2 oh, okay. is created. And so, but I, I think that. The opportunity of using all the energy that's already there. Yeah. And so they say, like, you'll see stats that say, like, one Bitcoin transaction takes as much energy as an American household uses in a month. Whoa. Yeah. But that's not really accurate to measure things that way because the energy usage of Bitcoin is not determined by its transactions. It's determined by the miners creating the blocks, which is doing the proof of work to create the hardest money to ever exist. Mm. Um, you got to have some kind of proof of work to create a hard money. Okay. 
Yeah. We, remember we talked about with gold, there's that proof of work. You got to go in the ground and dig it up. That's pretty hard work. With, with Bitcoin, you need to basically spend electricity to get it. To get it. Yeah. Mm. And, and that's part of the reason it has value as well. Wow. So, That's so <laughs> yeah, so proof of work, I mean, we go, we expend our energy and in return, they give us money and I want to make sure that the energy I spend today to get that money, I want to make sure that energy is something I'm able to pass down to my kids. So I don't want to save that energy in dollars. I want to save that in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the first things that my parents asked me, they were like, well, I, I heard about Bitcoin a little bit, but like... What if you can get hacked? Isn't that something that's like easy to get right. hacked? Right. Yeah. So exchanges can get hacked for sure. So like if you're using like a Coinbase or something like that, somebody could, you're not holding those coins. You don't have them on your own private hardware wallet. You have them on your wallet on Coinbase, which means Coinbase has those coins. Hmm. So somebody can hack. Coinbase. So somebody can hack Coinbase and steal those coins. Now, some of these crypto companies have policies in place, I think, where they'd kind of help you out in that kind of situation. And like you're not insurance. Yeah. Um, and then others, I think, would just tell you tough luck. So that's why it's important to custody your own Bitcoin. There's some personal responsibility that comes with this as well. If you want to have the hardest, soundest, best money ever, you got to learn a little bit and take some personal responsibility to store it right. But even then on the opposite end of the spectrum, like if you have a bunch of cash... Right, and you're real old school, and you stash it under yeah. your mattress. You're like, that's not really fucking smart. How safe is that? It's not. Anybody mm-hmm. can come in and fucking yeah. jack you, you know? Yeah. So whereas, there's definitely risk. Whereas with this, there's a lot less risk, because hypothetically, if I'm doing the, this Bitcoin thing the right way, it's just 12 words in my head. Mm-hmm. Nobody can steal those from me. Maybe they can point a gun at my head or my family and say, if you don't tell me those, we're going to kill your family. But, I mean, we've really escalated at that point, you know. <laughs> right, right. What so, do you... Sorry. Go for it. What do you tell an average person who wants to maybe get started, but they feel like they don't have the money to invest towards that? So I just remembered, I was going to say earlier, Bitcoin is divisible to 100 million units. So you can buy one one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin. Um, excuse me. And the name of the smallest unit of Bitcoin is called a Satoshi. It's named after the creator of it, Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, and so right now you can go on an exchange and you can buy maybe like 20,000 Satoshis for a few dollars. Um, and so I would recommend anybody that would like to invest and store their energy better for the future um, to figure out a number that's going to work best for them, whether it's $5 a week or whether it's $100 a week. Um, that's up to you to decide. And I would just recommend buying a little bit every week or every two weeks or however you want to structure it. Um, and again, this is not financial advice, but um, that's how I've done it is I've just bought a little bit every week. And there's been times where like earlier this year, we talked about how it went from 65000 all the way down to 30000 Well, I'd been buying all the way on the way up, and then I was buying at the top. And then as it went back down and crashed, I just kept buying. And that made me get in at a nice average price. Um, and I'm, that's going to be my strategy for the future. I'm going to continue to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I would just encourage people to, to think if you've got $10,000 sitting in your savings account, that's being inflated away. Maybe you want to put 5% of that into Bitcoin, or maybe you want to put 90% of that into Bitcoin. That's up to you. That's up to the individual, but yeah. And that's something that's really interesting to me because when people are investing their money, they invest small amounts, you know, they're trying to be safe. And I think that's what really drew me to you specifically because of the confidence thing, because like the way that I saw it, it was just like, like, look, it, I don't, I believe that if you wait to try to understand something to jump onto it, that it's going to be too late. And I think sometimes the smarter thing to do is to trust other people's judgment. Not always. That can be really, really bad. But if you're smart about it, like, it's easier to listen to somebody who's, I wouldn't say like a professional or somebody who's spent the time educating themselves doing it. By the time I had met you, dude, you had already, you sent me, I asked you about it. You sent me like, yeah, <laughs> the biggest file I have in my notes right now. And it's all Bitcoin articles, articles podcast, but, yeah. conversation links, like so many different things where in my mind, like, I'm like, dude, if I'm going to go through this, it's going to take me a fucking year, bro. But it's like, you're like, yeah, dude, this is literally everything that I've been going through. And it's like, yeah. okay, like I trust it. Mm -hmm. But then that's not enough for like, if I'm going to go even further. And what's cool about it too. Oh, go ahead. If you're going to go further. If I'm even going even further, like if you're talking about percentage of what people have invested in things, usually it's a small percentage. When you come across people that have more than a hundred percent invested in something, it's hard for me to sit on the sidelines. And just be like, mm. right? That's yeah. not interesting. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's very interesting. Yeah, and that's the. Um, I'm not trying to I, put you on blast. But right? I think no, I that's the it. thing, though. It. It's like just it's, it's getting to know that there's something like that out there, and then educating yourself, and then actually doing it. So I started buying Bitcoin before I knew too much about it, mm. and then I started doing more research into it, and then the more I learned, the more I bought. And I also bought some other of these cryptocurrencies. Um, so real quick, just to touch on them, all these other cryptos, they're designed by a group of people. They are not... Oh, the other interesting thing about Satoshi, um, the creator of Bitcoin, is after two years of the Bitcoin protocol running, he disappeared. He hasn't been heard from since. Hmm. Maybe he died. Who knows? Um, but there is no one person who can influence the protocol of bitcoin even satoshi couldn't because of the way the, the code is set up um in order to change the bitcoin protocol you would have to get 51 percent consensus of all the nodes i believe that's the way that works um hence the reason for it being a decentralized cryptocurrency with every other cryptocurrency there's a group of people that can change the monetary policy of those cryptos so like ethereum Back in, I think, like 2017 or something like that, they had this uh, basically like a contract running on, this, on their platform. And a bunch of the people in Ethereum had a bunch of money, essentially, a bunch of these Ethereum tokens sitting on this contract. And the contract got hacked. And whoever hacked stole like, mil like tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars worth of yep. this Ethereum token. Yeah. What did the founders of Ethereum do? They just rolled it back. They hit the reset button and said, okay, we're not going to use that blockchain anymore that's been 
you know, that guy has all the money on that blockchain. We're not going to use that anymore. We're just going to reset it and make a new one. What? Yeah, right? That can be done at any point with any of these cryptos pretty much uh. by the group of people that created it and control it. Huh. And they can also change how much of the currency is issued. Um, so they can change the cap, for example. Yeah, so they can say like, okay, there's going to be a one trillion Dogecoin. Well, now there's going to be two trillion Dogecoin. That sounds a lot like fiat our, currency yeah, to me. it sounds like our current issue. Yeah. So that's what's making Bitcoin so strong, right? Yes. And obviously it's showing because people are jumping on it. Not like they're jumping on like things like Ethereum. Well, and don't get me wrong, like things like Ethereum have activity going on on them. Um, they are attractive to some extent. Like for me, I started buying some of them because there was, there was some that were in like that one to $2 range. And I said, whoa, that could be the next Bitcoin because I didn't know what Bitcoin was at that point. There won't be a next Bitcoin. Bitcoin's Bitcoin. Um, and so I see all these trading for like a dollar and two dollars. And yeah, you might be able to hit one that really pumps and goes from a dollar to a hundred dollars. Good for you. For me, that's like gambling in Vegas though. Right. That's like high risk. Yeah. Right. If you're And I I did some of that and I lost some money doing that. And I learned my lesson and now I don't do any of that shit. I just buy Bitcoin. I'm actually glad that you brought that up. I mean, with even investing into Bitcoin, is there like a risk of losing money? For sure. There's a risk of losing your money if you invest in anything. Um, I've just, in my personal kind of calculations, determined that my risk in owning Bitcoin is a lot lower than my risk in owning any other asset, especially assets denominated in dollars in fiat currencies. Now, is that where you have to like educate yourself to know when to pull out? Or for sure, for sure. But work? I would also offer that I don't intend to pull out. Hmm. If, think about it like this, if you lived in Lebanon and you'd been saving in Bitcoin and now your currency is being inflated away by your central bank, like in the thousands of percent, <laughs> so like your dollar is worth a penny, like that kind of thing, um, hmm. would you ever take profits and sell your Bitcoin to get some of that Paper currency, right, right. No, no, it wouldn't be smart. Yeah, you just I wouldn't leave it do in that. Bitcoin. I would just leave it in Bitcoin, yeah. unless unless I crash my car and I needed to pay my medical bills and buy a new car and this. Okay, maybe I need to sell some of my Bitcoin in that situation, but that's not what we're talking about here. I'm just talking about money I'm putting away to save for my future. You know, mm -hmm. and keeping. Obviously, it's always smart for somebody to keep money in their account in cash. That if there's emergencies, you can. Do that without selling any of your assets. That's always a smart, smart idea. Now, is this something that's really different from actual stocks? Yeah, because it's a monetary asset. But yeah, basically, it's the difference between money and it's a, a money that you're buying business. Yeah, it's like it's kind of like trading your dollars for gold, but instead of this shiny metal rock, it's a piece of code. And you can move it all over the world at the speed of light. Try moving a million dollars worth of gold from Japan to New York. It's pretty tough. Mm -hmm. You're going to pay a lot of money to move that. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, that's really crazy. I mean, it almost seems like everybody should get on this. Yeah. <laughs> it does. So you really think this is going to be the next big shit? Yeah. Like 10 years from now, what do you think it's going to look like? Um, I think it's going to look like um, more countries will have either made it legal tender or... In situations like Venezuela, Lebanon, um, Zimbabwe, the people there will just start using it.
because their their fiat currencies are terrible and they're being inflated away. I think we're going to see some kind of system where we are clinging to this dollar system. Um, I think it's going to go, Bitcoin is determined as a store of value and billions of people all over the world are going to start using it as a store of value. And then they'll start using it as a medium of exchange. Um, and at that point is when I think the dollar starts to kind of go away. And I also think that that decreases the power of the state because they're not able to just print more money and finance themselves with What's putting putting the power, us in debt. It puts the power back in the people's hands, right? The individual, yeah. God, that's so big, man. I and think this is the next big thing Yeah, like going on. I had a guy, I was talking about it at, at the gym, and he was like, you know what? I just think it's too late. I think it's too late to jump on it. And he's wrong. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, he's wrong. Um this thing's going to be around for a hundred plus years and we're in year 13 of it. So if anything, it's just, doesn't matter right now. Like if you did it five years from now, which would have been way better, but if you're still doing it now, like it's still good to just like hop on that train and try to do it. Yeah. Having some is better than none. I think it's riskier to not own any than it is to own some. That's a, that's a bold statement. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's huge, I don't even like, think it's that bold. I think I think it's riskier to only hold dollars. They're just like I said, they're a melting ice cube. Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely it's been like a really positive experience for me. I don't know if I just got it into like a really good time. But I mean Yeah, I basically moved my whole savings. Like cause same. Like it just didn't really make any sense. And I think the timing of it was great because Especially with everything that's going on, like, I'm definitely better off now, for sure. But I mean, like, watching it, I don't know if the timing of this podcast was perfect, because the last couple of days, it's definitely moved. Came uh, back down a little bit. It's definitely moved a good chunk, right? Yeah. And do you know anything about this bull run thing? Like, what is that? People were talking yeah, about so watching it so as, like, this reoccurring wave, right? Technical analysts, you know, these people that pull up charts on their computer, and they look at all kinds of metrics, and they can... They can see, there's ways to go online and you can see like data from on the blockchain of like who's selling, who's buying, um, which wallet addresses are accumulating more. So I'll tell you like what we've seen in the last few months has been these whales, these people that own a lot of Bitcoin have just been steady accumulating, buying at pretty much any price. Buying like huge buying large, chunks. Buying large chunks, pretty much any price. Mm. And we've seen these people with weed cans, if you will, who have sold out at different phases and that's why you see these these drawdowns in the price sometimes and maybe these are people who took out leverage so debt to buy more bitcoin and then something happened in life or the or the price came down and that alarmed them and they decided to sell their bitcoin in order to cover their bet their their debt you know that leverage they used and that causes like a ripple effect and the price goes down a little further but if you zoom out on the chart, it goes up and to the right. And day-to-day and week-to-week, we have volatility, um, which means it goes up and down a lot. And that's because people are trading it right now. So people are speculating on it. There's people who are basically placing bets on if it's going to go up or down in the short term. Um, I think most people who are in the Bitcoin space understand that it's going pretty much nowhere but up in the long term. Well, indefinitely, as, as long as more people are adopting it and like more countries... Or starting to jump on board, like it's it's only going to go up in value because 
more people are going to have it. It's going to start spreading it out. And that starts building like the scarcity of it, right? Yeah. Well, it's a network effect too, right? So it's it's one of those technologies that gets more powerful the more people are using it, like the right. internet. The more people that are on the internet, the more powerful the internet is, right? The more information available, more people you can communicate with. More people that are using Bitcoin, the more powerful Bitcoin is. And the, the, more, the more people that are using Bitcoin, the more value is going to be locked into it. We're going to see a flood over the coming years of pension funds, investment banks, individuals moving money out of the dollar system into Bitcoin. It's already well, it's, happening. It's already happening. It's already happening, right? yeah. I saw, I think it was yesterday, I saw like banks in, this, this one bank in Canada is going to start making it where you can start doing transactions through banks yeah. uh, to get Bitcoin. There's been, wow. there's been kind of murmurings of that in the United States that uh, the FDIC, so the FDIC insurance, they want to make a way that banks can interact and operate with Bitcoin. Yeah, I think it's going to be big. Um, and, and it starts getting crazy. Like, people start throwing up some, like, ridiculous numbers. I don't know how they're coming up with these numbers, if I'm being honest with you. But, I mean, just over the last couple of months, like, the number has definitely risen dramatically, right? I mean, it's gone from 30 to 60 to 40 to 50, but people are talking about it being in the hundreds. Yeah. two hundred By the end of the year. Thousands, by right? the end of the year. One of the models, they use a bunch of different models to look at it. Um one is called this stock to flow model. Um, this guy named Plan B came up with it. And he, I think what he's kind of looking at there is that the supply, remember how I told you earlier that the reward is cut in half? Yeah. So in two years, the block reward is going to cut in half. And what that does to the price, it has huge effects on the price because the supply changes. And so if you look at the Bitcoin chart, you see these weird 40-year cycles based on the halvenings where you see these spikes as the supply gets cut in half, and then it kind of comes back down to a normal spot. And then that's when all the accumulation happens, and then the supply gets cut in half again, and it spikes way up again, and then we're back here. But it's now a much higher floor that we're at for the next cycle. And there's a lot of debate on if these cycles are going to continue or not. But some of the numbers come from something like this. So if Bitcoin replaces gold as a store of value, the market cap of gold is about $10 trillion. That's about how much wealth or value is stored in gold. And I think that includes like the industrial uses for it, like in computer chips and stuff like that. Um, $10 trillion. $10 trillion. That's crazy. Right now, the market cap of Bitcoin is about $1 trillion. Hmm. So if Bitcoin is going to reach the level of gold where people are storing their value in Bitcoin instead of gold, that's about a 10x increase in the price. That puts the price at about $500,000 per coin. Wow. And that would be just if it, if it ate gold. What if people store less of their value in real estate and they start storing some of that value in Bitcoin? And what if they stop storing some of their value in stocks and they start storing some of that value in Bitcoin? That's where you get these crazy numbers of $5 million a coin, $10 million a coin. And that might not be until 2030, 2040. Mm. But I do but think that's where we're going. That's crazy. And that's where people are saying if you have right now $100 at 60000 and it goes up to 600000 Yeah. That's a really big turnaround. It's 10x. And I'd also encourage you to think about it, think about it in that, that low time preference way. 
where the money that you're putting into Bitcoin right now is, I don't ever plan to sell any of my Bitcoin. I'll take out loans against it, but I want to give my Bitcoin to my kids. Um, and so for me, like, yeah, I'll just take loans out against it pretty much to okay. finance what I need to throughout my life and then pass that down to my kids. And I think it's going to be worth a lot less or a lot more then than now. That's crazy. Yeah, I feel like if anything, everybody has to get on that. I mean, that's something that I've already like started doing just because like he started educating me on it. I'm like, all right, I'll try it out, you know. But yeah, I mean, definitely sounds like a big deal for sure. That might actually be the perfect segue. A little bit ago, I handed out five bucks to everybody. What do we got here? Everybody pull your phones out. I think everybody right now should buy a little bit of Doge. Oh, my I mean, goodness, uh, this guy. <laughs> what are we buying? Solera. Is that what we're doing? What is that? I don't know. Some kind of shit coin. Uh, we're going to come back in here. <laughs> Doesn't have to be too specific. Are you, what do you use? Uh, right now I'm using BlockFi. Okay. I did hear you about using that. You got the. Yeah. So I use, uh, one cool thing about BlockFi is they pay me interest on my Bitcoin. So I just hold my Bitcoin with their, them, and they pay me about 4.5% interest in Bitcoin. My, my Wells Fargo savings account, I think, pays me like 0.1% interest. Wow, yeah. So 4.5, that's what, 45 times better. And by you saying that, that's like the literal app that you're using, or what do you mean by that? BlockFi is the name of the company. I think they're based in New Jersey and regulated by the state of New York. You can look into them. They're pretty legit. Um, but there's a lot. Yeah. All right. Is everybody ready? We're buying Bitcoin, right? Everybody's buying Bitcoin right now. Nice. Thanks and for the, it's a little bit of a tease. Uh, and for those listening or watching, I hope you guys are doing this too. <laughs> yeah. Definitely take a minute. Everybody get on there. We're doing it. Cam's doing it. I'll get it in here. Boom. Oh, and it's at a discount right now. It's trading down a little bit. It is going down. Here we go. What a deal. Confirmed deposit. And... Boom. I'm good. Me too. Barely here. Bitcoin purchased. Thanks for the Bitcoin, Anthony. You're welcome, everybody. Boom. Oh, that took so long. I got it. Well, I guess, uh, do you guys have any questions for me or anything? Or Boom. Nice. <laughs> Everybody's on board. No, this was amazing. <laughs> I feel like that was actually just, if anything, the main thing that we just wanted to have you come on. And again, Thank you for even coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge in regards to just all of this, because I mean, it's so new. It's just like what I mentioned. It's, it sounds scary. It sounds overwhelming, all these crazy things. And, you know, if anything, that's just like bringing awareness to the people to really know like how to manage their money or maybe just how to maybe better themselves in the future or something like that. So that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Seriously. Thank you guys. Yeah, seriously, just for coming on and explaining it. Because it is really confusing. And there, there's so much to it. Even then, I'm, I don't even think we covered everything, you know? Like, there's oh, just, no. There's, there's so, so many different things involved with it. And I just think, uh, 
every day. A, a lot of it is is stuff too that I've had to like think about a lot, and like it's kind of changed my mindset a little bit, and it's things I've had to revisit a little bit. It challenges you. Yeah. Well, it's it's different. Yeah, you something know? new. It's, it's mm-hmm. something. Yeah, and people don't like change. Kind of get a, get out of your comfort zone a little bit, but it makes sense. Like in anybody, and I saw this. It was like anybody that does their research into Bitcoin gets into it, and it, and it makes sense. I haven't encountered anybody who's put in at least fifty hours of looking into this and learning about it, who is not a big fan. I honestly, I haven't heard anybody with a bad story, if I'm being completely honest. The people with the bad stories didn't spend very much time learning about it. Right. I love that. Or they're doing something wrong, which... They're not learning about it. Mm-hmm. You know? I think everybody should jump on it. I think yeah. it's huge. I think the next couple of years, it's going to be even bigger. I mean, just based off of what I've seen the last couple of months, like, it's been great. So, everybody jump on it. This thing is huge. I think that's it. I don't have any other questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate the to... conversation, guys. This was awesome being on here. Thank Hell yeah, so dude. Yeah. Did you guys see that? This is definitely really random. Did you see that thing with Snoop Dogg? Is he doing uh, NFTs or? Yeah, did you yeah. see that? Yeah. Did you see that? Google Snoop Dogg and NFT right now. He, I thought about this when you were talking about Satoshi and you're like, nobody knows who he is. And yeah. he can technically come out tomorrow and be like, it was me this whole time. <laughs> it's like Barack Obama or something. No, I'm just kidding. It was, it was Snoop. It was Snoop Dogg, right? No, but I saw this with Snoop Dogg, right? He revealed himself. So I guess for a long time, there's been like this, this, oh, goat, this goat this. of NFTs online, and he's had like this secret account, and it's been like this really, really famous guy, like, and people have been following him because he's had, he's got one of the craziest portfolios of NFTs ever. He's got like over two hundred and fifty million dollars, or some crazy, or not maybe that's it's right like seventeen million. My, my, well, that's just one he bought, it says, for 3.9 million. That's just million. one, yeah. So I'm sure he's got hundreds of millions worth. Yeah, yeah, he's got millions. Maybe I'm blowing these numbers out of water. But he's got millions of dollars sitting in his portfolio of just NFTs, right? And then he put it out on Twitter. He was like, you know what? If this post or if this whatever account gets so many follows, I'm going to reveal who I am. And he revealed who he was. And he was freaking Snoop, Snoop Dogg. Dog. Yeah. That's so let's crazy. see what his name was. Uh, he had like a name. Did you guys see what? Aaron Rodgers and uh, Tom Brady are doing? They were giving away Bitcoin online? Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. To, Tom Brady's uh, a Bitcoiner. Aaron Rodgers is a Bitcoiner. Wow. Two of the some of the biggest names in the NFL. Yeah, let me find this really quick and see if I can send it to you. But I found this thing on Snoop Dogg, and I was like, what the frick? This guy's like a NFT goat. Snoop That's Dogg. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah, I need to learn more about NFTs because I honestly don't know too much about them. All right, so basically he came out and revealed himself as a crypto whale, basically, because he has some of the, basically some of the most expensive NFTs out there. He's got some some really cool ones. But he was hiding his name. He as the Cosomo de Medici. It was like this oh, online yeah. account. Old Italian like, banker. It was this online account, and he was just like keeping himself like as just like an unknown person. It was giving out like advice to people and telling how to trade and like what to look for and like stuff like that, right? Really trying to give people advice. Yeah, and he came out and just revealed that he is literally the (laughs) dog father of NFTs. So that's too cool. I love it. Dog for the win. I know. We need to get somebody on to talk about NFTs because that's another really fucking confusing thing. Right. But it seems like it's very similar. Um, You buy them with Ethereum. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you can. I think they're running on a bunch of different blockchains. They're on Ethereum, Solana. There's a bunch of different ones. Um, I think that. I think they're basically just JPEGs that show that you have ownership of, of a specific JPEG on the blockchain as like art. It's like digital ownership. Yeah. So it could be. I mean, I I haven't spent much time thinking about them and learning about them, so I really can't speak too much on them. But uh, could be very interesting to see. Yeah. For sure. There's definitely, I feel like some big game changers happening and technology is always changing and it's something that we have to really follow. So yeah, crypto is a really big one and I think it's an important one. It's something that I don't think we should be sleeping on, especially now it's all really new. So I think if we jump on it now and, and it's heydays and I think uh, everybody's really going to benefit from it in the future. Yeah. There's a great benefit to early adopters. Absolutely. Well. So Let's do it, man. I'm glad that we're a part of it. I'm glad that you made me a part of this. So it's a pleasure to be here, man. I'm glad to glad to know you. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> I'm glad to know you. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Let's get out of here. Yeah, sounds good. And Let's thank you, it. amigos, for tuning in. And like always, we will be back with more videos and podcasts.